We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. From Luke 22. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let me welcome you to Resurrection Oakland. My name is Brent, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time visiting, we are so, so glad that you're here today. I would love to get to meet you and learn your name after the service. Before we jump into the sermon today, I do just want to Make a quick, uh, give you a quick word about these invitations that you found in your worship guide. We, we talk a lot about being a church and not just for ourselves. And that's why we have made these and given you one. Uh, these are not for you. They're not for your fridge. They're for, they're for a friend, actually. Um, on, on these invitations, you'll find two really special events that are coming up in the life of our church during the Christmas season. Uh, on one side, uh, you'll find that we're going to have an evening with the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir. Um, that's on Friday night, December 8th, and we're going to have a party because of all people who should party the best, Christians should party well. So we're going to have a party across the street at the California, some of you don't know what to do with that, but it's true. <laughs> Jesus' first miracle was he turned water into wine. Um, we're going to have a party at the California Ballroom across the street that night, and, uh, and then on Sunday, December 10th, which is that, the Sunday after that Friday, that's going to be our special Noel service. We'll have all sorts of uh, incredible music in the service, a choir. It's going to be really great. Um, both of these are wonderful opportunities to invite a friend. The, the concert with the choir, um, if you've never heard of the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir, they are a big, big deal in this city. Uh, they're playing at the Paramount Theater, I think, the week before they're performing here. And it would be so easy for us to pack this whole place out with people from our church. And we don't want to do that. The purpose of this event is for us to open our doors to your friends who aren't typically here on a Sunday morning, who might not typically come on a Sunday morning. And so what we're going to be doing uh, over the next two weeks is actually... We're going to be opening up registration for this event. And for the next two weeks, it, that registration is for those of you who 
have someone that you want to invite. After that, we'll open it up to everybody else. But for the next two weeks, we really want to protect those who, who have people that they want to invite. You do have to have a ticket for this event, but the tickets are free. Man, incredible. Free tickets, but you have to register. And you can do that by going to our website, uh, to the events page of our website, and registering for a ticket for you and your, fr your friend. But let me just say, for all of us, I just would really encourage you to even today begin praying about who you could invite uh, to Resurrection Oakland this Christmas season to hear the good news that God has come into this world in the form of a person to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. So excited about all that's to come in December. All right, let's jump into this passage. Uh, for the last couple months, we have been working our way through a series on the life of Peter. And we've been looking at how Peter's life has so much to teach us about the Christian life. Uh, today we come to Peter's betrayal, and here's what, this, here's what this passage really has to teach us about. It has to teach us how the gospel changes the way you navigate failure in life. How you handle failure. There's a story of a student who was off at school and uh, wrote home to their parents before returning home for the Christmas holidays. And uh, this is the letter. They said, Dear Mom and Dad, sorry you have not heard uh, recently from me. It's been a very difficult time. First, a fire gutted my apartment. I escaped only by jumping out of the window, and I broke my leg. Then in the hospital, I met this wonderful nurse. We were married last Saturday. My friends don't think our very big differences in age or social or national backgrounds will matter much at all, as we are so much in love with each other. So far, everything I've written is untrue. Don't worry. None of this ever happened. What did happen last week was that I failed my exams. So before I, so before I come home, I just wanted you to get this failure in perspective. We've got some Cal students here. You guys are welcome to just plagiarize that, you know. We need perspective on failure. We need to know how to handle failure in life. Jerry Rice, who played for the 49ers and then the Raiders, uh, some would say he's not just the greatest receiver of all time, but he is the greatest football player of all time. When he was enshrined in the Hall of Fame, this is what he said in his speech. He said, my single regret about my career is that I never took the time to enjoy it. I was always working because I was afraid to fail. The fear of failure is the engine. The fear of failure is the engine that has driven me my entire life. The reason they never caught me from behind is because I ran scared. People always are surprised at how insecure I was. The doubts, the struggles, it's who I am. It's who he is, and guess what? It's who we are. Friends, if you and I don't learn how to navigate failure in life, here's what Jerry Rice says. He says, you will live scared. Life will be miserable. You will not be able to enjoy it. It'll be the engine that drives your life. There'll be this deep insecurity about you. Is there anything that can help us? Yes, this passage, actually. This passage tells us, we're going to look this morning at three ways the gospel transforms how we handle failure. Here they are. 
The gospel makes you honest about failure. The gospel shows you the true nature of failure. And then three, the gospel offers the only healing for failure. So first, the gospel makes you honest about failure. Now, our passage that we read this morning, it actually, it actually kind of picks up in the middle of the story. It happens late, late at night. Jesus has been arrested. And the other disciples, where are they? They're not, they're not here. You know why they're not here? Because they have scattered. They've already run. But Peter has been following at a close distance. And he's in this courtyard, and he's watching the, 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 the trial. And three times he is asked if he knows Jesus, and three times he denies Jesus. If you remember earlier that evening, Jesus was with the disciples at the Last Supper, and he looks at them and he says, you're all going to betray me. You're all going to leave me. And Peter jumps up and he says, even if everybody else leaves you, I will not leave you. He says, Jesus, I'm ready to die with you. I'm ready to go to prison with you. And then here he denies him three times. This was undoubtedly, undoubtedly, Peter's greatest failure in his life. Can you imagine any failure in Peter's life that was bigger than this failure? It was his biggest failure. And it was the biggest failure of all the other disciples too, actually. And now here's what's so interesting about the fact that we find this story recorded in Luke's gospel. One of the things I hear people say a lot is, hey, you know, we can't trust the gospels. We can't trust the Bible. The reason we can't trust the gospels is because, you know, I, Jesus, sure, okay, he was a real person. He lived in history. You know, he walked around for about 30 years. He said some really good things about, you know, turning the other cheek and forgiving people and, and caring for the poor. But all these claims about Jesus being God and the, the son of God and, you know, God in the flesh, like, no, 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 all of that stuff got made up after the fact. That was just, that was just the early church kind of fabricating these stories to try to get this whole thing started. And one of the problems with that is that if you were making this stuff up, you never would have put a story like this in there. You, you never would have, you, you'd never portray leaders. I mean, these are, the, these are the leaders of the early church. You'd never portray leaders uh, who are cowards, who, who are flaky, uh, who are weak. No, you would portray them in the best light possible, right? You want to make them look like people worth following, courageous, integrity, strong, brave. One of the best reasons, actually, to trust the Bible is that it never whitewashes its own key leaders. It never erases their flaws and their failures. It includes them. Luke includes it. And here's what's even more interesting. Not only does Luke include it, Matthew includes it, John includes the story about Peter's failure, and what is most interesting is that Mark includes it. Why, why does that matter? Well, Mark's gospel was written by Mark. <laughs> yeah, it was written by Mark. Okay, you learned something new this morning. Mark's gospel was written by Mark, but here is what all historians and scholars say. They say that Mark wrote his gospel in Rome under the direction of Peter. That Mark was basically Peter's ghostwriter. That all the evidence Mark gets for his gospel account, all of the eyewitness testimony, it came 
from Peter. Why does this matter? It matters because Peter took his greatest failure, his most shameful moment. He said, Mark, put that in your book. Write that down. Who does that? Why would Peter do that? I'll tell you why he would do it. Because something has happened to him where he does not really care what other people think about him. He's free. He is free to be honest about his failure. This is what the gospel does. It makes you free to be honest about your failure. You know why? Because you're not defined by it. And so you can be honest about it. You can be honest with yourself. You can be honest with God. You can be honest with others. And this is good news that we all need to hear this morning because we all go through life trying to hide. Trying to hide our failure. Trying to hide our shame. Trying to hide our sin. All of us. Have you ever asked the question, why you hide? Why there are parts of your life that it just terrifies you to think other people might know about or find out about or see? Why do we hide? R.A. Dickey, who was a, he was a pitcher in the major leagues for years, um, he's, he was sexually abused as a child. And uh, for most of his life, he told no one. Uh, the shame was so crushing that he just he kept it locked up and hidden. One day, he just couldn't take it anymore. And so he literally, he swam out into the ocean to kill himself, to drown. And amazingly, a boat came along and rescued him. And he said that was the moment where he decided he wanted to live and he was actually going to begin to tell his story. This is what he says in an interview. He says, it had been locked away for 23 years and it wreaked havoc on my life and the relationships I had in my life, not only with my friends who really weren't even my friends. I didn't trust anybody. My wife didn't know the darkest things about me. I had kind of conned her into marrying me almost. It's a tough admission. I loved her dearly, so I projected who I wanted to be, but I would never let her inside because I always feared if someone knew the real me, they would run the other way. Have you ever felt that? If someone really knew me, if they knew my failure, if they knew my secrets, if they knew my shame, if they knew the things that I had done, if they knew the things that had been done to me, they would never love me, they would never want me, they would never desire me. This is why we hide. This is why we hide. Some of us in this room, we have secrets in our lives that not a single other human being knows about. We have things in our lives that we think we are going to take with us to our grave. And here's the thing. There are so many different ways that we hide. So many different strategies that we have to hide. Think about this. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, God creates Adam and Eve. Puts them in a perfect world. And you know what Genesis 2 says? It says that they were naked 
and without shame. That is major, that is a major theme of the Bible, this idea of nakedness and no shame. You and I were made to live in a world without shame. But we lost that world when sin entered into it. And and this is why Genesis says that right after they disobeyed God and they realized they were naked and they realized they had shame, what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves and to hide. Some of us, we read the Genesis account and we say, what a silly, (laughs) archaic story. How could anybody believe this? Friends, Adam and Eve's story is your story and it is my story. It's the story we live every single day. That deep within the human heart is this sense of inadequacy. That something is wrong with us. That we're not enough. That we're not acceptable. And so what do we do? We, we, we try to find all sorts of fig leaves to cover our shame. Anne Hesh, uh, who was an actress who, who died in a tragic accident just last year, actually, uh, she was sexually abused from the time she was a toddler until the age of 12. Terrible things done to her. And in her own admission, it led to just patterns of destructiveness in her own life. Listen to what she says. She says, I did a lot of things in my life to get away from what had happened to me. I drank, I smoked, I did drugs, I had sex. I did anything I could do to get the shame out of my life. Sex, substances, what's she saying? She's saying, these are all just fig leaves. And it's not just her, it's all of us. Why do we overwork? Why do we overeat? Why do we undereat? Why do we tear others down through gossip and slander to make ourselves look better? Why are some of us perfectionists? Why do we crave control? Why do we have this desperate need for approval? Why do we get so angry when people slight us? Why do we try and curate false versions of our lives on social media? They're fig leaves. They're fig leaves. They're, so, they're ways we try to hide. There are so many ways we try to hide our failure and shame. But the gospel says you don't have to hide, friends. You can live like Peter. You can be honest about it. Now, don't you want that? Don't you, wouldn't you love a life that is that free? How do you get that? Well, that actually brings us to the next point. The gospel doesn't just make you honest about failure, but the gospel shows us the true nature of failure. And we see this in verse 62, actually, where it says that after Peter betrayed Jesus, he went outside and he wept bitterly. See, what is the nature of failure? I don't just, when I ask that, I don't just mean failure in general, okay? I mean failure as it relates to sin and to shame and to not being the people that we want to be and we were made to be. What is the nature of that failure? We tend to think that the nature of sin is simply breaking God's rules. Is that how you think of sin? We think, oh, you know, God says, don't do this, 
live like that, and sin is when we actually break God's rules. But something so much more is happening in this passage than just breaking God's rules. Because in verse 56, when this servant girl looks at Peter and she says, you were with him. And, and Peter looks at her and he says, I, I don't know him. I don't know him. These were the same words that they would say in the synagogue when they excommunicated people. I don't know him. It was a, it was, in other words, it was a way of saying, uh, we no longer have anything to do with you. Peter is not just breaking rules. You, you don't weep when you break rules. You, you weep when you do something that breaks a relationship. You weep when you do something that breaks the heart of someone who has loved you and cared about you. And in fact, the more they have loved you and cared about you, the more you weep when you fail them. If uh, we've got a lot of new people showing up to Res Oak lately, say you've been coming for a couple weeks, you came up to me after the service today and you said, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. This is hypothetical, by the way. This is all hypothetical. I'm not inviting you to do this. Uh, if you don't like the sermon, I'm really happy if you just keep it to yourself, actually. You don't even need to send me an email. It's good. We're all good. Uh, let's say you're new, though. I've never met you. You come up to me and say, you know, worst sermon I've ever heard, and I'm not coming back anymore. You know, that's staying a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I'd go home, you know, a little hurt, a little sad. But if somebody who was on our launch team, they've been around since day one of this church, since our very first service, March 18th, 2018. If someone like that came up to me and said, worst sermon I've ever heard, not coming back, that, that'd leave a mark, okay? If my wife came up to me after the service, <laughs> She was here in the first service. Thankfully, she didn't do this. If my wife came up to me after the service, worst sermon I've ever heard, not coming back anymore, I would be devastated. The closer the relationship, the, the deeper the love, the deeper the pain when you disappoint them. And this is why Peter weeps. Friends, all sin, all spiritual failure has a personal nature to it. What do I mean by that? Sin is not just breaking God's rules. That's a superficial understanding of it. It's not just breaking God's rules, but it is breaking God's heart. It is a way of saying to God, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And this is why one of the main ways the Bible talks about sin is it calls it spiritual adultery. Think about that language. Spiritual adultery. Think about the Ten Commandments. You know what the very first commandment is? God says, you shall have no other gods before me. God is saying, I want you to love me first. I want you to love me like a spouse. In Ezekiel 16, God speaks to Israel through the prophet Ezekiel. And, you know, Israel has gone off. God has said, I've, I've, I've made you a special people to myself. And Israel went off and worshipped all of these other gods. And this is what God says to Israel through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, on the day you were born, 
no one looked on you with pity or compassion, but I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. See, there it is again. I entered into a covenant with you. That's marriage language. God is saying, I married you. And then God lists out all of these ways that Israel has worshipped other gods. And and then he says to them, he says, you adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your husband. Do you see why sin breaks God's heart? It's not just because you're breaking God's rules. It's because God loves you more than anyone else has or could ever love you. We think God is just this authoritative king telling us to submit to him. And God says, no, I am a loving spouse and I want you to be faithful to me. And this is why Augustine described sin. He called sin disordered loves. Sin is disordered loves. He says we were made to love God first like a spouse, but we have loved other things. Augustine says sin is not just doing bad things. It's not just breaking the rules. It's not just doing bad things. It's loving other things more than we love God. It's it's not just being disobedient, but it is being unfaithful. It's spiritual adultery. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you see your sin the way that Peter sees his? So when you begin to see your failure and your shame and the sin, your sin, the way that Peter sees his, it'll do to you what it does to him. You'll weep. Is that happening in your life? Do, do, you, do you minimize your sin? Or do you grieve your sin? Do you dismiss it? Or do you repent of it? Are you complacent in it? Or are you broken over it? Does it do to you what it does to God? And you say, gosh, I like that first point a lot better. (laughs) All that about being honest. But this sounds crushing. How does this help me navigate failure in my life? Well, it is only as you see your sin and shame the way that God sees it that the gospel can actually begin to do a work of healing in you. And that's the third point. One of, I I think, one of the most pregnant verses in the whole Bible is verse 61. It says that after after Peter denied Jesus, Jesus turned and he looked straight at Peter. What was that look? How how did Jesus, his his moment of greatest failure, how did Jesus look at him? Friends, that is the million dollar question. The way you answer that question will make or break how you handle failure in life. It will make it or break it. What was that look? How did God look at Peter in his failure? How does God look at you in your failure? Was it a look of shock and surprise? Was Jesus like, I can't believe you. No, Jesus had predicted it. Remember that? He'd said it's going to happen. Have you ever had that experience where you, 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 you cross a line you never thought you'd cross? You do something you never thought you would do, and you say, I can't, 
I can't believe I did that. I'm, I'm so surprised. God is never surprised. It's not a look of shock. It's not a look of surprise. Was it a look of disappointment? You know, did Jesus have his arms crossed? Was it a look of, of disgust? Was it a look of condemnation? You know, this is how we tend to think God looks at us in our failure. It's how we think other people look at us in our failure, which is why we work so hard to hide it. And it's even how we look at ourselves, which is why we feel so overcome by shame in moments. And friends, if we are ever going to be healed, we need to see what Peter saw. Because here's what we know. What we know is that Peter was healed. You know how we know Peter was healed? Because it's here. Peter said, Mark, it's cool. Write it down. No, put it in there. I'm good. I want people to know about this. Peter's failure did not get the last word in his life. His sin and his shame did not get the last word in his life. It didn't define him. That's why, that's why it made its way into the gospel of Mark. Peter was healed. So what was the look? Don't you want to know what this look is? The, the word that Luke uses for look in this passage it's the same word that John uses in John chapter 1 the very first time that Jesus looks at Peter if you remember way back a couple months ago when we started this series we looked at John 1 the very first time that Peter meets Jesus the very first time that Jesus looks at Peter and what does Jesus do he gives him a new name he gives him a new identity. He says, Peter, come, follow me, be with me. This word look, it's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 6, where he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Look, look at the birds of the air. They don't reap or sow. And yet your heavenly father cares for them. How much more valuable are you to him than they. This look in this passage is a look of love. It is a look of grace, a look of compassion and mercy and welcome. Do you believe that God looks at you like that? In your failure, in your shame, let me tell you, I struggle to believe God looks at me like that. And I'm, I'm going to guess you do too. And you say, I would love to believe that. But that feels hard to believe. Okay, let me, let me, let me give you more. How do we know this, this was a look of love? Here's how. This was the last look that Peter got from Jesus when Jesus was on his way to the cross. And the cross is where God tells you and me two things. Number one, God says he knows you fully. You are fully known. The cross means you don't have to hide. Um, it's hard to preach a sermon on failure without telling you a little bit about my own. Before Katie and I were married, we've been married almost 14 years now, before we got married, I was married to someone else. 
And seven years in, that marriage fell apart. And it was devastating. I mean, I just, the shame that I felt from that. I, I felt like for the next three years, I was walking around with this huge scarlet D on my chest. And Katie and I went out on our first date. And I was so afraid. I was so afraid because I was so convinced that no one could ever love me again or want me again. And so we're sitting across the table having dinner. And I looked at her and I said, so what's it like being out on a date with a divorced pastor? And she said, well, so far, it's been wonderful. Let me tell you, the healing that flooded into my life in that moment. You know why? Because I realized I don't have to hide anymore. I didn't have to hide. The cross says, not only do you not have to hide, it says you cannot hide. God has seen you at your worst. That is why Jesus had to go to the cross. That is why he had to die. Because God didn't just see all of the ways we have broken his rules. He saw all of the ways we have broken his heart. All of the ways we have been unfaithful spouses to him. And he said, rather than breaking you, I'm going to break myself. God says, I, through the cross, he says, I, you are fully known. But you are fully loved. The gospels tell us that when Jesus went to the cross. He was stripped naked. Isn't that interesting? He, he died naked. This theme of nakedness that shows up on page one of the Bible and runs through the entire thing. All of a sudden we see it here on the cross. That's not an accident. They did not just take Jesus' clothes from him. On the cross, Jesus took something from us. You know what he took? Your shame. He took your failure. He took all of your sin. You know why? So that you and I could be clothed with his righteousness. We spend our lives hiding and trying to cover ourselves, and it doesn't work, and God says, you can't cover yourself, but I can cover you. You can't heal yourself, but I can heal you. Will you let me? And that is the question. Will you let him? Will you let him give you a glory and a beauty that nothing else can give you in this world. Will you let him give you a love unlike anything else? Tim Keller says it this way. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and fully loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God.
And it is what we need more than anything. And it is what we need more than anything. And it is what this table offers to us. This table is a place of healing. Healing for your sin, healing for your shame, healing for all the ways you have failed. This table says that those things do not get the last word in your life. God gets the last word. And when you come to this table, God looks at you like he looks at Peter. God says, I I know the deal. You, You see just the tip of the iceberg, but I see the whole story. I know all of the ways you have failed. I know all the ways you have run from me. I know all the ways you have loved other things before you've loved me. I I see your shame in technicolor. You are fully known. But God says to you at this table, you are fully loved. See his body broken for you. See his blood poured out for you. See his love for you. Come and let him heal you. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Until he comes again and shame will be no more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this table and for the look that we find at it. Would you give us eyes to see, eyes to see the way that you look at us in all of our mess and in all of our brokenness? You don't just see us for who we are, but you see who you are making us to be. And so would you give us eyes to see that look today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.